Hi there. Welcome to season four of Meet Bridget. We're going to get right into another great episode, but first I have to make sure our amazing podcast listeners, that's you, have the inside scoop. After three incredible, successful seasons interviewing women about their teen foundations, we are bringing all we have learned to our community in coaching form. Go to meetbridget.com coaching to sign up for our latest coaching program ASAP. Hot tip, it makes a great gift for a bestie, daughter, coworker, you name it. And make sure you sign up for our newsletter on meetbridget.com. The link's in our Insta bio too, because we drop special deals and offerings for our newsletter friends. Thank you so much again for listening. We love you so much. Enjoy. What we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Again, I was around like 25 when this happened, and so I felt so alone that like I'm too young for this. Like none of my friends have gone through this. I didn't know anyone whose parents had been sick. Welcome back to season four of Meet Bridget, a show that sheds light on the often untold teenage and young adult stories of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Kashia Rosenberg, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget CEO, Asha Gabriel. Today, I have a real treat for you all. I'm really thrilled to introduce Amandine Azren founder of beauty brand Amandine Soul Botanicals. I really believe that Amandine has a story that many can resonate with. Um, I first found her on Instagram after following a couple mutual businesses and like-minded CEOs, and I really love what she stands for. She'd initially planned for law school, but after moving from the city to a farm in the country, Amandine found that this return to nature made a huge impact on her chronically troubled skin. When it came to tour law school later that summer, a dream had already begun to form for Amandine, and it was at this point that she sat down with her mother and created a brand based on the farm experience. With their combined years of experience in the beauty industry and the inspiration of their farm, their products aim to create a solution to overcomplicated and underperforming skincare routines. Today, Amandine Soul has gained cult status with many celebrity makeup artists, and has especially gained footing with male celebs like Travis Kels, Simu Liu, Ashton Kutcher, Vinnie Hacker, Pedro Pascal, Lucas Gage, Austin Butler, like need I say more. Amandine Soul Botanicals is a brand born out of fate, family, and a love for beauty, and I'm so excited to share its founder's origin story as well as her journey to success. So welcome, Amandine. Hey, I'm so excited. That's very cool to hear you read out all at once. It's not something we, as founders, often take a minute to hear. So thank you for the beautiful intro. Oh, absolutely. I'm really thrilled to have you. And I wish, I mean, I'm sure we'll post some things on our social, but when I was looking at your bio and we were prepping for this interview and you were talking about your troubled skin, I like look at the photos of you on your website <laughs> and on your Instagram and I'm looking at you now and I'm like, this stuff works like whatever you're doing really works because <laughs> you're absolutely glowing so oh thank you it's been a journey and a lot of people look at me and go well you're young that's why you have good skin and 
oh no, I've seen it all. My skin has seen it all. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. I'm really excited to get into it. So let's, let's start from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Um, what city were you based out of? And, you know, let, let's talk about it. Yeah. So I was born in Montreal, Canada, and my family, my parents and I and my brother, we moved to Toronto when I was pretty young. I was probably around like two or three years old. So I spent all my formative years really growing up in the city in Toronto. And then I moved out to California about two and a half years ago. Oh, wow. So you literally went from coast to coast in Canada, which I mean, I've I haven't been to Toronto. I've been to Vancouver. It's cold. It's cold and it's it's often dry, right? Oh, yes. Very cold, very dry, <laughs> and very gray. Like, gray 90% yeah. of the year, it feels like. Yeah. Amazing food, though. Amazing food. So tell me a little bit about your background growing up. Was Montreal, like, the big city that you grew up in, and then Toronto was the farm? Like, tell us a little bit about that and about family life and young Amandine. Yeah. So Montreal, for all of our American listeners who may not know a ton about Canada, is kind of like a little Europe. Like Montreal is very French and it's it's French speaking, very culturally French. It's very European. But when I was about two years old, my parents decided to move to Toronto, which is the big, probably one of the bigger cities in Canada other than Vancouver. It's like a mini New York. It's a very yeah. hustle bustle. It's the big city. It's pavement, very intense lifestyle. Again, similar to New York, it's that hustle culture. And my dad was a, is a, still a hairdresser. So he had his salon in Montreal that's still there today called Aesthetica. And he was like a local celebrity for doing hair. He did like all the runways and photo shoots. And he just like everyone knew him. And part of the reason why my parents moved us from, from Montreal to Toronto was that my dad couldn't go down the street without clients and people being like, oh, Rochelle, we love you. <laughs> and my mom was oh. like, this, this, this is hectic. This is too much. Let's go to Toronto, let's move to Toronto and um, establish there and kind of grow the business there instead. So yeah, we lived in Toronto for a really long time up until about five years ago when one day to the next, my parents decided to sell our house and buy a farm two hours outside of the city in an area called the Kawarthas, which is farmland, cottage country, rural. Yeah, totally different from what I grew up in. Yeah. Was it just like they wanted to return to like peace and quiet? It was similar to the initial move where your parents just wanted like a shift in dynamic, like social dynamic. Yeah, totally. It was definitely, I never actually thought of it that way. (laughs) Exactly that. It was a similar move of simplicity, nature, space. My dad is from Morocco originally and for some reason always dreamed of retiring to a farm, even though he was never a farmer, never had like animals other than, you know, the family dog. But he was really gung-ho on the, the idea that he was going to have retire to a farm. So yeah. they just kind of did it. <laughs> yeah. So what was life like growing up like in the big city? Like what pre-farm move, what was little Amandine yeah. like? What were your interests? Did you have any idea or inclination that you were eventually going to make it into the beauty space or were you sort of shying away from that because of the the lifestyle that you guys had growing up? Yes, it was exactly that. I definitely shied away from it. Having my dad as a hairdresser and a business owner and my mom, um, she worked with him. At first, she had her own beauty store that sold like all of the coolest beauty products. Like She brought heels on consignment before they were heels, before they were wow. huge. She she just always has such a knack for like finding the coolest stuff before anyone else does um, and high quality products at that. So after she stopped doing that, she worked with my dad. She helped him run his hair salon. 
And that kind of meant pretty much 24-7 business life mixed in with family life. So my brother and I really grew up in my dad's hair salon. Like after school, that's where I would go meet my parents. Instead of going home, I'd go meet them at the salon. And from a super young age, I was just there all the time. And my parents are both so creative and so open and so inspiring that we are just always surrounded by art. My mom, in the summers, I wouldn't go to summer camp. Like I have no interest. (laughs) She would be happy to send me off. But I was like, no, I just want to hang out with you. It's so much more fun. And we'd go to art galleries and we'd do art projects. And she is an incredible painter. So she kind of taught me to paint and we'd paint together and take painting classes. Even when I was like really young, I had to be probably like max around 10 years old. I was working on these big paintings with her and some of them turned out really beautiful. So my dad hung them in his salon. And then one day a client was like, I want to buy all of those. And that was like first ever paycheck was someone bought my paintings off the wall of his salon just because they loved them. Uh, So it was definitely a very creative environment. And being around so much of that entrepreneurship made me really not want to do it because I was so, I saw the up and down of it. I saw how it consumed your entire life. Like we didn't really take family vacations because that meant, well, who's going to run the business while we're all away? Right. You you need that person there. So I saw how all-consuming it was, how up and down it was. So I was always kind of on the path of let me do something more stable. Like I, I kind of tossed between uh, medicine and law for a really long time. And I ended up choosing law when I went into university because uh, it kind of leaned a bit more into my personal interest of reading and writing. But I was always a really creative kid. Like I loved, again, I loved to paint. I loved beauty. I loved fashion. Like I really dreamed of doing something in fashion, but I never felt like I would fit in or that it would be profitable or that it would be a paved path. Whereas something like law or uh, medicine was like, do well, work hard, you'll succeed. Yeah, yeah. Law because you like to read and you found that you could possibly lend creative writing to it. How did your parents shape that path for you? Because they, like, as you said, they're very entrepreneurial and creative. So did they encourage you toward or away from a goal? Or were they just like, whatever you want to do, we'll do it? Yes, they took the whatever you want to do, we'll support it in any way we can. I mean, I definitely made it harder for myself by selecting so something so far out of their yeah. realm because they couldn't like guide me and you know how to study for the LSATs or how to apply to even university like they hadn't they didn't go to university so I was the first in my family to really be doing all of that stuff and I think that's the skills I learned in trying to get into law school or even start university were our skills that I'm seeing be so applicable to what I do today and a lot of that was just reaching out to people in our network like clients of theirs who are lawyers or clients and friends who had done something similar to really just ask questions and learn Mm -hmm. from them. But a lot of it was like figuring it out as I go and them just like emotionally supporting me like crazy. Like they were just there for every up and down and every conversation. And even if they didn't get it or had never done it themselves, they were just like fully in it with me. That's fantastic. Are you an older sister or younger sister? I'm the younger sister. So are you the first in your, of you and your brother, are you the first to apply to college and everything like that? Yeah. Yeah. My brother was not super into school. Like he always knew that wasn't really his forte. And so pretty young, he got into hairdressing with my dad because it was just right there accessible to him. He was pretty interested in it and it offered like a good path for someone who's like not interested in school, which, you know, kind of back then it wasn't wasn't it was a little taboo not to be into university whereas today there's so many it's so open how many alternative paths there are but 
when we were growing up, like I'm 29, it wasn't that long ago, but it was still a much more closed-minded realm. So I think, um, yeah, that that was huge for him. Like he actually came to LA to go to hairdressing school and he lived down the block from where I live now, which is just so crazy, like o- over 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, wild. Well, very cool that you kind of had to figure out your own path because I agree. In a similar way, I'm the oldest of four kids and I'm first generation American. So I was the first in my family to apply to college. And I remember at the time my parents were super supportive, but had no idea. Like my dad went to UCLA like 40, 50 years ago. And at the time he was like, everything's different. Like, I don't know what FAFSA is. I don't know what this application process is. Like you're on your own kid. And um, I didn't have like a great college counselor coming out of high school either, which was unfortunate. Some people get really, really lucky. Some just do not. So there was this whole, that period of time was really like trial and error, figuring things out. And I love the idea that you had to like build that resilience by reaching out and figuring out who to ask. Do you find yourself to be a shy person or a or a more outgoing person like was it difficult for you to do those things or did you feel like you you were empowered to do them I'm incredibly shy like I I don't I don't know if I describe myself that way today as much because I've had to like flex that muscle so much Mm -hmm. I'd probably be like an inverted introvert or which yeah the one is where like you force yourself to be extroverted but like in reality I'm super introverted super shy I grew up like attached to my mom's hip like to the point that people were like is she okay like is she gonna talk is she gonna (laughs) be able to interact it was I was so so shy I couldn't even tell my parents like if we were in a store and I was pretty young they're like oh what do you want I I couldn't even verbalize to them you know the closest people to me what I wanted let alone put myself out there and ask questions and I did pretty badly in elementary school because I was too shy to ask questions. I was too scared mm. to say, like, I don't know how to do my time tables or read a clock and stuff like that. Yeah. So, And being in, like, a bigger public school, that just kind of gets ignored and you get pushed along in the system. Yeah. And the teachers would point it out to my parents and say, like, hey, I think she's falling behind. She's, like, definitely doesn't really know what's going on. Uh, but them not being, like, you know, teachers themselves, there wasn't a ton that they could do. They just kind of supported me with tutors and guidance counselors and stuff like that. But, yeah super shy. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. You would never know it, but that completely resonates. And it's interesting how many successful women we've had on the show who would describe themselves as introverted extroverts. And it's just, it's really that piece of practice, like you said, um, which we go into, I love this at all. It comes full circle. But, you know, a lot of women just talk about how like practicing that muscle, flexing that muscle has made it so that now as a successful adult woman, like out in the world, running your own business, you know how to function and no one would ever know that you feel shy. And um, yeah, Asha and I love that because one of the cornerstones of Bridget is confidence and the fact that confidence in and of itself, like as a word, just means in trust, like trusting in yourself and holding in that trust. And so we really believe that by developing that muscle, like practicing it over and over every single day, trusting in yourself to do something, like that's how that confidence really starts to come into play and into practice in real life. So it's so cool to hear you flush that out. So let's talk about this big move to farm life from big city, public school and everything. Did you did you end up going to university 
even though you decided not yeah. to do law school? Yeah. So I, I went to university and I, I mean, I loved every second of yeah. it. I loved studying. I, I learned that I like, that's really where I started to practice, you know, asking questions and seeking teachers out for help after class, especially I was an English language and literature major. So it was a lot of writing. And my first year I did terribly because I was just so confused and overwhelmed by the whole process of being in university with you know so many kids away from home, all of it. But then my second year, I really forced myself to go into office hours and ask for feedback and ask why I was not doing as well as I wanted to and all of that. Mm-hmm. And that was that was huge. That really helped me grow and uh, become a really good student. And I just bun- like hungered down for my four years and studied like crazy to get into law school. And I think a huge part of it too was most schools I think are like this but this one for sure was very much pushing people in the direction of professional careers like law business uh there was a lot of people in like MIT communications there wasn't much leeway in terms of like entrepreneurship or starting a business or creative anything so I Mm -hmm. felt that the university system definitely continued to steer me in the direction of law being a good idea so I just kept my head down kept working towards that goal I just like you know, laser focused on that. I worked in a law firm every summer of undergrad and it was an all-female firm. It was really an incredible experience. It was like one of the big firms in Toronto and I met a lot of really supportive, cool women. And every summer they're like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Don't be a lawyer. This is a terrible career. Go do something else. Like you're too (laughs) creative for this. And I think it was around my last summer there that I was like, okay, maybe I should start thinking about all of these, you know, impactful women telling me that this is maybe not the best career and that it's got some long-term side effects that I might want to think twice about. So that it was kind of in the like last six months of school that I started thinking, you know, maybe I should open my mind up to other careers and other paths that might allow me to fulfill parts of my life and my interests that I love that I, I'm naturally good at, you know, I wasn't naturally amazing at law. I was working really hard to be good at it and to learn it and to learn the, the way to think about it and the skills. Mm-hmm. But I felt there was this whole part of my life that I was neglecting, like the creative side, the fashion, the beauty, the, uh, the, the need to create. And that just wasn't being fulfilled by law. So I started to, to think, OK, maybe there's something else out there. But I still wrote the LSAT. I got into law school right out of university, which is, you know, in Canada, we don't have as many law schools in as we do in the U.S. So getting into law school in Canada is a lot more challenging because of just the volume of schools, much more competitive. So like most people were like, that's incredible. You got into any law school, let alone a good one. You should 100 percent go. And I just had this like hit feeling in my stomach of I can't pull that trigger. And I think when we know it's right. We're quick to say like, yes, 100%, I agree. But I, I couldn't like wholeheartedly say, I, I definitely want to do this. So I mm-hmm. decided to take a year out of university and defer the law school. Actually, I don't think I could defer and I had to like flat out reject it. And then I could, um, I could apply again like the next restart year. restart the process the next year. That's a huge exactly. decision, but it's really significant that you had something so you had just such a big gut feeling telling you that it wasn't the path like so much so that you just stopped even though everything logically was telling you to move forward with it what kind of support did you have in making that decision like did you just do it by yourself or did you lean on some of the connections you'd made at the law firm you worked at and your parents yeah 
It was definitely a combination. So some of the people, one person from the law firm who had gone to the, the school that I'd been accepted to was like, do not reject this. Go 100%. I'm looking for apartments for you. Like you should 100% yeah. do this. And then my boyfriend at the time was now my husband. His family is all very in the like business medical world. So they were all like, mm-hmm. you should like, you would be crazy not to go. So like that part of my life was definitely all saying like, this is the hugest opportunity. If you hate it, you can always not be a lawyer, but at least you did the training. Try. Exactly. And you know, it'll open up so many doors. But in my mind, I was like, I know that if I don't want to be a lawyer, why would I go to law school? And even right. my else, like I had an LSAT tutor who helped me a lot through the process. And I talked to him a lot about it too. And he always told me, he's like, I don't see you doing grunt work at a law firm forever. Like one day you'll open your own law firm or you'll do your own thing. And I kind of had that playing in the back of my head. And then other than those people, like my parents were a huge part of it, like talking, talking to them about it constantly and friends too. I was, I really talked to anyone who would listen about it and get as many opinions and kind of weigh them out but that can also be super confusing so it was just a very yeah. conflicted time and i i definitely did talk to a lot of like professionals in the industry as well that i could find like just after i made the decision not to go i started kind of interviewing in different fields i looked at like some corporate marketing i looked at banking you know i still kept it very corporate because i felt like that was what was considered successful at the time mm-hmm. especially being in such a large city where that's really the indicator of success is like how big of a career you have in you know a corporate setting Mm -hmm. so I I definitely like I interviewed and I talked to a lot of people but it was all still in that world so that didn't necessarily inform what I ended up doing but it it told me I I wasn't more interested in in marketing or I wasn't more interested in banking so that's kind of how I ended up saying okay well if I don't love these things more maybe I will go to law school so I applied again at the end of that year Mm -hmm. and then I got in again and I accepted it right away because I was like, done, at least a decision is made. I've made yeah. the decision that I'll go in a year from now. And I felt like I could breathe again. But as that just, that time got closer, I started having the same feelings of like, okay, I actually don't know if I want to go. And it was right around then that my parents called me and said, we sold our house and bought a farm and, and that's the house I live in. <laughs> so <laughs> I was obviously going with it. But in their minds, they thought, oh, you're only here for like, you know, a couple more months until you go to law school. And when you come home, you'll visit the farm. And it was kind of like a chapter closing a bit on Toronto yeah. for me. Um, so it was a lot happening at once. A big shift. So what yeah. was, so I feel like we haven't quite gotten to the point in the story just yet where you were like, yeah. aha, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. So, okay, (laughs) you went to university, you went to university, you did the whole thing, you kept your head down, you worked, you just put one foot in front of the other. Like, I love hearing that you had a goal and you really wanted to see it through. And I think a lot of people will, I think that will resonate with a lot of people, especially those that are, you know, really inclined to go into a career like law or medicine or, you know, even if they're like looking toward the future to go for their MBA, whatever it is. Anyone looking to get into academia, I think, can really relate to, you know, trying to have an idea formed of where, what direction you want to go. And when you have that direction in mind and you're going toward that, like that second guessing yourself, I feel is so common among people. And it's like, what do you do with that? And at what point do you sit down and you say, am I listening to my gut instincts or am I just getting cold feet? So, yeah. and there's not really a perfect answer. Like you said, sometimes you have to go back and forth and back and forth. And 
flesh out all of your resources over and over yeah. again until you arrive at a decision. So then this really weird thing happens to you where your whole life is sort of tipped upside down because your yeah. home base is no longer going to be home base. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely a huge shift and it was so not my family. Like again, we're all in like my my brother's a hairdresser, my dad's a hairdresser, my mom's from the beauty industry and even further like outside of my immediate family, everyone's in fashion, like everyone's really mm -hmm. creative and and like super cool and and innovative and here, all of a sudden, my parents and I and my brother are on an 80-acre farm. There's no neighbors. There's cows. It's like a little farmhouse in this. We'd never even been to the town. Like, it was so far out. I always describe it to people as, like, Schitt's Creek, if you've seen the show Schitt's yeah. Creek. <laughs> it, it was exactly that. My brother called me Alexis for the first few weeks because I was just like, what is going on? Uh, it was it was like a massive shift. And my, my dad even looks like Eugene Lovey. Like, it's so it's it's so so accurate <laughs> they, i love it. yeah if i could make a show such a great show too oh such a good show and canadian <laughs> yeah so yeah so we're at the farm and at first i was like culture shock i don't know about this like freaked out but then as i started to lean into it and get comfortable with the experience i realized this is really special this is such a, a unique time and place to be and i really felt drawn to being there and i didn't feel like I was ready to just sign my life away and move to law school and and just kind of call it because that's sort of what it is. You know, when you're in law school for three years, like you're grinding away, like your summers right. were spent interning. It's not like you can go back home and really hang out a lot. It's it's a really intense process. So I was trying to be very forward thinking about the decision and I, I definitely felt like I had cold feet and I didn't want to be it sounds terrible, but I didn't want to sound seem weak by choosing not to go like I was just you know, being a baby and, and I didn't feel like I could do it. So I'm backing out. I didn't want anyone mm -hmm. to think that. So I think that's why I was scared to say anything. And I just kind of kept like swallowing it. So now it's the fall or it's the summer and I'm starting that fall. And my mom and I go out to see the school. I'd never even seen it before. It was like five hour drive away from the farm. And the second we got there, I just started crying. Like just that immediate, like waterworks just oh. pouring down. <laughs> and the whole time we're driving around looking around checking into the hotel it's like midnight now I'm still sobbing and I can't like I'm, my mom's just looking at me with like tears rolling down my face and in the middle of the night she finally goes you know and you don't have to do this if you could do anything in the world what would you do I said I'd start a skincare line with you let's do it we packed back in the car and drove to the farm and really started executing our dream skincare line this that is like <laughs> Yeah, this is, it almost does feel like Schitt's Creek, like the conflict is building and building. So yeah. like what, middle of the night, your mom asks you this question, did this idea literally just pop into your head or had you been thinking about it for a little while and like generally yeah. like making the mental shift from like, is this what I want to do? Yeah, it was, my mom had mentioned when she was moving to the farm that she would maybe make a face oil for herself because mm -hmm. she'd seen a couple brands do it and she was like, I can make something that I think is way better than anything I've tried. And I'm just going to do it for fun because she was like, I'm going to have no friends or family or anyone around me. I may as well entertain myself by just, you know, making this for myself. And she bought off, I don't know, some random website online, these green bottles. And I remember mm -hmm. seeing them a couple weeks before this and just my brain started spinning. I, I hadn't like formalized anything like, let me make a skincare line or let me ditch law school to do something so different 
but yeah. I just like that it, it was like a subconscious shift in my mind of, of the gears moving and then it, it did feel like kind of kismet or just this like electric moment when she asked me and I blurted it out I didn't have it fully formed at all I didn't even have a partial idea but it just all of a sudden came out and the way she reacted right away saying let's do it I felt like it was just like electric and the idea snowballed from there like I, I like that second knew what kind of product I would want to make and who it would be for and what problem it would solve and from that moment on yeah it just kind of kept going and literally the morning you know I think we, we had this conversation you know throughout the night probably till like four or five in the morning and we started packing and we were like all right let's get out of here we've got things to do <laughs> and yeah. I, the first thing I did was started to think okay who can I ask for help because I'm gonna need a lot and seems like that's a common thread in in at least my life and I'm sure a lot of other people's lives where it's like who can we reach out to in our network who might have some advice for us? And that was the first thing I did. One of my first messages I sent was to Taylor Frankel, the founder of Nude Sticks, who was from Toronto. Oh, I'd yeah. seen her. Yeah, I'd seen her brand, obviously, as one of the first makeup products I ever used. And I was like, all right, I'm going to send her a DM and say, like, hey, you're, you're a cool Toronto girl who's made an incredible brand. I would love to hang out sometime. And she answered. And that was like the first person I spoke to about it. And we've been friends ever since. She was just like an immediate really kind open resource that's awesome I really admire your ability to look for resources and I think that's something that was really born out of your shyness perhaps like Probably, trying yeah. to figure out how to project yourself a little bit more and then figure out what you need from the world and that's such a yeah. valuable valuable asset to have and to hone you can really see how it sort of helped you light that flint so yeah. I am so curious, what were some of the ideas that you and your mom initially started throwing around at 4 a.m.? Like, how <laughs> how was this actually born? And yeah, yeah I just, I want to know everything. Totally. So it started really out of my personal problem with skin. So I had always struggled with acne, dermatitis, rosacea. I've literally had every skin issue. So my mom from like a very, even my body skin, I'd get like horrible like rashes and so from a very young age, my mom was always taking me to to doctors and then to, what do they call them, like alternative medicine doctors and holistic doctors to try and find something that would work. And so she would also be making like oils and scrubs and creams for us. Uh, so again, she's just like creative. She's the type of person who's like, I think I can do it better. Like, let me try. Yeah. And it often worked better what she would make for us. So that was that was a huge key part of it was this desire to make something better than what's existed to solve an issue I have and knowing that if I have it, a lot of other people are struggling with it too. So immediately we knew we wanted to create a face oil. We thought that was going to be like our hero product because you could combine so many results into one product with an oil. You could have a lot of different ingredients in an oil that allow each ingredient to shine and be effective without overpowering each other. We knew we wanted it to be all natural because I saw how well natural products were helping solve my skin issues and that farm inspiration of wanting it to be part of the earth, return to nature. And then the other huge inspiration was simplicity. It was like enough of these 12 step skincare routines. You know, this was really the height of the single ingredient product where you've got like 30 Just different like products on your counter. Hyaluronic acid, pure vitamins. Exactly. C, and you're like, what do I do with all of these? Yeah, exactly. The customer becomes the chemist at home, and you're all of a sudden mixing all these tinctures, and you're seeing so many skin issues come from that. Like, I got so many new skin problems because I was using more products to try and solve 
my existing skin issues. So it was like a snowball effect of like the more you use, the worse your skin's getting. So you use more products to try and fix that. <laughs> like it's you're constantly putting a bandaid on it and it's not getting better. So we wanted to have something that combine multiple results into one, like as close to an entire skincare routine in one product as possible. We wanted it to be natural. We wanted it to work because as consumers of the industry, we were like, you know, that disappointment of being excited, investing in something with your time and your money and your energy. And then you use it a couple of times and you're like, oh, this doesn't really do anything. Now it just sits in your, your vanity and you throw it out and it's, you know, more waste on the planet and your wallet and all of that. And then we also wanted something that would work for both of us. That was like such a key part of it was that we love to try products together. We love to like do our routines together and share products. But we felt like we were being targeted by two completely different industries. Like she was getting the Estee Lauders and I was getting Glossier and neither of of us were loving the results. You know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it didn't feel right. So we were like, okay, let's create something that's for both of us. So it, it is such a wide range. You know, my mom's in her 60s. At the time, I was in my mid-20s. I'm now in my almost 30s. So it's like, if it works for us, it's going to work for people in between and above and below. And um, yeah, that's really how we started with our face oil. And we tried growing a lot of the ingredients on the farm so that we could eventually do full process, plant, harvest, extract, formulate with them. We tested so many different products that we liked, that we didn't like. We played with raw ingredients. And then we finally settled on a really incredible chemist in Canada who creates products really focused on natural skincare. So they have like best in class research on what ingredients really work because I was scared to go too natural where it wasn't effective or people would think it's not effective. So they really helped us like fine tune the ingredients in the formulation. That's great. So did you have access to their resources in terms of like, like you said, you guys were growing a lot of stuff on a farm. Which I wish I could be a fly on the wall because it sounds so fun (laughs) to like experiment with different things. And I imagine, did you test a lot of these things on yourselves since you were looking at both of you as sort of the bookends for your demographic? Exactly. Yeah, we were the guinea pigs 100% of the way. (laughs) How long did it take? Like how many different iterations of like face oils did you guys have to like go through before you landed on the one? We kissed a lot of frogs, <laughs> mostly our <laughs> own self-formulated ones. We we tried to do it ourselves at first. We're like, oh, we've got this. This is, yeah, you know, yeah. this is feasible. And we probably made like 30 different versions at one point. Like we were playing with vanilla scenting. Like we were just trying everything. And my dad and brother have a hair salon in Toronto. And that was really our test demographic as well. Like when it passed my mom and I enough. We were like, okay, let's see if anyone else likes it. And we put it in little bottles and we bring it to the salon and give it to his clients because they've known us forever. You know, they are yeah. a part of our family. So testing it on hundreds of women of all different ages, backgrounds, skin concerns, just so such a wide range of audiences helped us really refine. And it was through that process that we were like, okay, let's go to the professionals. Because a lot of the feedback we were so getting smart. was that it smelled weird. Couldn't nail the smell. Like that was the hardest part. Working with natural ingredients that each have their own scent. It ends up smelling like a barn. And I don't think that's really the vibe people yeah. were going for. <laughs> so that was what led us to, okay, let's let's, let's partner with a, a scientist, a chemist. Yeah. And they'll help us help us get where we need to be. And then that's after a- that, it was it was it. Like that was we had one formula with them and we knew immediately that's our product. 
I feel like, so I'm sure you guys brought all of your like test research to them. Like here's the 30 yes. different versions we've done. This is where the pain yep. points are. I love yeah. that you guys got to a point where you realize like, okay, let's lean on somebody else's expertise to help us get this to the next level. Asha and I can yeah. totally relate to that because between moving from nonprofit to, to an actual business enterprise and like going from that and trying to figure things out, like we'd always bootstrapped and, yeah. you know, been really scrappy and done everything on our own. And I think one of the things that's so great about that is like, if you ask me today, like, how do you start a podcast from scratch? And like, what are the different programs? I'd be like, oh, I got you GarageBand all day. Or, yeah. you know, the the podcasting version of it. And it's been several years now, but it was a huge time suck, we realized, once you get to a certain point where we were stepping away from the part that we really liked, which was the creativity, yeah. it was the outreach, it was the speaking to people, it was the developing programs and workshops. And so we could like figure it out on our own. And, you know, there's a big part of us that really wanted to. But once we took the step of like, okay, let's look to a professional for help. Like let's like, now that we've done this on our own for a little while, like yeah. what's the next step? Like that's when things started to shift for us. And I think there's, yes. you know, a real lesson and a real common thread in your story of just like seeking the right resources and not being yeah. afraid to ask for help in order to continue moving forward. Like you're not compromising yeah. quality, but you're actually leveling up, which is so cool. Totally. Absolutely. And that's when I saw it for me mentally a huge shift in what I was doing because so much of it was so DIY. And I went into it with this perspective of let's just try this. Like I don't have this doesn't have to be the rest of my life. This could be for now. Let's just get this experiment out of the way and if it if it fails horribly I can still go to law school I can still you know work in a bank or whatever it is but let me make sure that you know I get this out of my system and really try it out to the full extent yeah and that was the first moment like I'll never forget my dad and I were driving from the farm to Toronto because he was still working there as a hairdresser uh, a couple days a week because he retired but realized he's not ready to be retired <laughs> he needed to work he was so bored of just you know like floating around Being like away he needed yeah yeah, like he needed that energy of, of doing clients and cutting hair and being creative. So I would go with him sometimes to the city, you know, for a day or two while he was working and we were driving along and we pulled over to a French fry truck in the summer. They're super popular. They have chip trucks all along the highway. And my uh, mom called us and said, here, by the way, like I've never <laughs> heard of that. And I don't know why oh, it doesn't exist here. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to come to Canada because they're everywhere. Yeah. They're in Long of yeah. team. So yeah, we pulled up at one. My dad was starving. He's like, I need some fries. And we're standing there and my mom calls and says, you know, I think we need to go to the lab because I don't think I can make this formula myself. And for her, I'm sure it felt like a moment of defeat. But to me, it was so exhilarating. So I was like, she's in, like, she's on board. We're going to make a really, really incredible product now because we have the resources to do it. And it just leveled up in my mind. And Similar to what you were saying, like along the way, I, I try to do everything myself because that's what you work with when you're an entrepreneur and you don't have a huge budget. You don't have you know, investors. You know, I kept just a couple hundred dollars and you know my parents helping me and my money that I'd stashed away, just kind of investing here and there. And it just every time, like same with when we launched, we weren't going to launch with anything. We were going to launch with a product and me doing the Instagram and making some videos. It was very, it was 2019. It was very bare bones. And then I saw someone I knew posting, if anyone needs an amazing PR person, hit up this girl. 
And so I was like, okay, maybe I'll just send her a message and like see what her rates are like. And once I did, and I had an amazing phone call with her that like, again, leveled everything up in my mind. And I was like, okay, now we need to do this and we're going to do it bigger and better. And it just kind of, you know, you, you tinker around at it by yourself as much as possible until you hit that point where you're like, okay, let's invest. It's going to be bigger. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So up until this point, had you had any major roadblocks or like, you know, moments where you're like, oh, I feel like I'm falling flat on my face. Like, is this working? Like, is this still worth it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had one on Monday. <laughs> Honestly, it happens. it happens all the time, especially because, I mean, I have my mind who's still a huge part of the business and I have a business partner who's really supportive and incredible. But day to day, it's still just me. And it's so easy to get in your head and convince yourself you're doing like everything wrong and it's going nowhere. And how am I still at this point? Why haven't I reached that point? You know, you see people on social posting about their, their companies or their success and you're constantly comparing and saying like, why isn't that, why, why haven't I gotten to that point? And if I haven't gotten to that point by now, will I ever? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I've had many, many of those moments, but I find every time I do a breakthrough ends up happening right after. So it's, it's like life telling you just keep going. (laughs) Yeah. Day is darkest before the dawn. Um, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Not to be too cheesy about it, but it worked perfectly (laughs) right there. (laughs) It's too good. Yeah, they had to. What was it like, like going to the chemist, working with your mom on this? Like you said, you felt this sense of exhilaration because that was kind of like the unlock. Once you guys settled on the formulation, which it sounds like the chemist really probably just had to take like all the work that you and your mom did and say, hey, let me run this through like my products and my materials and, yeah. and my um Process. equipment. Yeah, the equipment. equipment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I not very many people keep Bunsen burners like in their backyard <laughs> sheds or some do, but a couple. you know what I mean? And like, and yeah. So once you guys settled on that, like, what was the next step? What was that like, yeah. like for you and your mom? Tell us about yeah. it. Yeah. So the first part was, so the, the lab we settled on was actually the same lab that made my, my dad's hair care line a couple years before. So he, oh, he awesome. decided one day he yeah. like wanted to make a shampoo and conditioner and he had amazing ideas for it. He executed it with them. They were amazing. They're like a boutique lab and formulating company. But he did, He ended up not keeping it because it was, for him, a lot of, like, extra work that wasn't really worth it <laughs> in the end. But it gave us the perfect opportunity because the woman who helped them formulate was incredible. She was kind. She was supportive. She knew my family. She knew me since I was decently young. So she kind of saw me going through this, like, evolutionary process and was like, that it took a bet on us. Like, not many people are super willing to help a kid with an idea, which I kind of was at the time. I was 25, or I think I was, like, 24, 25. And you know, didn't have really anything super impressive to present to them other than an idea. And so I my, I went in with my dad for this part and because he'd been with them before and we sat down and gave her the whole idea of what I wanted to create. And her, I, her face was kind of like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if this is humanly possible. And she was like, you know, I brought her my laundry list of dream ingredients and what we've been working on and what effects we want, you know, the whole spiel. And she just looked freaked out and was like, I don't know if this is possible. And she called me the next day after the meeting and was like, you know, I ran the numbers and I ran the formula. And I did this and that. And she's like, there's no way. There's no way we can make a product like this. It's going to be so expensive. It's going to be like n- just not possible. Like, no one's going to be able to buy this product because with those ingredients, it'll be so expensive. 
And I was like, please, please, please just take some time with it. Think about it. You know, just please consider it and give it some time. You know, you don't have to make it tomorrow. I just let it sit and like see what we can do. She's like, okay, you know, I'll do my best. And internally I'm crushed. I'm like, there goes, there it goes, there goes everything. Like this, you know, this might not happen, but I was still holding on a bit of hope that maybe we could kind of rejig the idea to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And then about two weeks later, she called me and she was like, I have something for you to come pick up. It's ready at the lab. So I like raced over there. The lab's like a couple hours away from the farm. I pick it up. You know, the first thing I do is smell it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, started testing it gave it to all my dad my brother and dad's clients at the hair salon so it was like hundreds of women trying it and there was not one negative review there was not one person who was like it smells too, too strong it's too oily it's breaking me out i had a bad reaction like it was rave reviews from that one sample i was testing it. my mom was testing it. my dad was testing it like i literally gave it to everyone and anyone who came into contact with me and I got nothing but incredible responses. And I even doubted myself where I was like, well, maybe they're just being nice. They don't want to hurt my feelings. So I made an anonymous survey for everyone, sent that out, still rave reviews, incredible results. And that was how we knew we have to make this product. I love that. So is this the yeah. just curiosity? This is the yeah. Inner Glow Multi-Correctional Face Oil? Yeah, that's where I'm I'm imagining <laughs> this all right now. And just for our listeners, FYI, we're going to link, I mean, your website will be on the show notes and everything, and we'll have an opportunity to share all your socials at the end of the podcast. But just so our listeners can get a little idea, a little aromatherapy in their head. Yeah. Smells like fresh floral, lemon peel, bergamot, lavender, rose, and jasmine. I mean, yeah. if those aren't the best smells in the world and I love flowers so I'm like yeah. obsessing like this is the kind of thing that makes me drool it really really adds another dimension to this story which is yeah. so great it really is the smell is unlike anything else and something that people have been loving lately and is brand new to us is an inner glow moment and it's where people take a couple drops of the face oil rub their hands together and they take a few deep breaths. And I've had so many people reach out to me completely on their own saying, like, I struggle with really bad panic attacks. Mm -hmm. When I'm in that moment, I've been reaching for the oil and I'll take a few deep breaths. And it is incredible how my panic attack will subside. My nerves will subside. And that's been something I've been trying to really educate people on that it's more than just a face oil. It can be a part of your mental health routine. It can be a part of your self-care or self-comforting routine where when you're just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm, I feel like so overwhelmed and so stressed. The impact of lavender, like there's been studies, so many incredible yeah. studies done on it, how it legitimately calms the nerves and calms the body in such a profound way that I think is just so exciting that we can bring that to people beyond, you know, incredible skin results. Yeah, no, I love that. And I'm thinking about it right now and just how this all goes so for full circle with, you know, the idea of you returning to nature and moving from the big city to a farm and just finding that balance and peace and that direction in your life. Like it's yeah. it's so um it's such a cool it's such a cool concept that's come to life and that you get to share with your consumers via the product. Yeah. It's almost like when they have that inner glow moment, they too can return to the farm. Exactly. You can be calm and have gorgeous skin and you don't have to move to a farm. We'll do it for you. <laughs> I love it. 
So, and I think it's so smart too. I'm really impressed by, you know, how you once again leveraged your resources by just using your dad's salon to do customer discovery. Like, yeah, what was the best way to get this to hundreds of women to figure out what was going to work and what wasn't? And, you know, that's how you did it. And I also love that the initial pass was like, oh, it smells weird. So that was like something you had to focus on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then, yes. And that like the product you finally landed on was like the best smelling thing in the whole world. I think that's such that's an important true. lesson. Like, yeah, go for that failure. That was like the first comment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Go for failure and then come out on top like with all your learnings. It's just it's so totally. great. So I want to talk a little bit about what it's like starting a business, like what the biggest pain points you feel like were and like what keeps you going every day. Yeah, that's a great question. So some of the biggest pain points to get started were the like reactions I was getting from people when I'd say, I'm not going to go to law school and I'm instead going to start a business. Again, it's 2019, so it's a very different landscape where today I think, you know, people are launching businesses because of their TikToks blowing up or yeah. because, you know, it's just, it's much more accessible. I think now we're much more accepted now, maybe not mm -hmm. more accessible, but people are much more open to it and encouraging of it. I felt like one of the hardest parts was almost disappointing people by telling them I wasn't going to be going to law school and that I would instead be taking this huge gamble. Mm -hmm. My family was the most supportive. I remember coming home and telling my brother and he was like, oh, it's about time. I always wondered what you were doing with that law school stuff. <laughs> like, so, so my family, I had 100% support. And then I, you know, I was like, well, they just bias because, you know, they're my family. They have to support me. So that was a really, really hard one. Um, and then as we grow and um, as I've gone through different steps of it, some of the hard parts are breaking through the noise. You know, there's a lot of brands. There's a lot of brands with a lot of money. There's a lot of mm -hmm. celebrity-owned brands. So getting your product and your story out there is super challenging in that type of landscape. Uh, and then the obvious one that it's, you know, everything's very expensive and you need money to get anywhere at this point. Um, I mean, not anywhere. People are, are able to go viral and blow up their companies with zero dollars spent and I think that's incredible uh and something I try to do every day <laughs> but yeah it's not always the easiest and you know it's a lot of stuff is pay to play so navigating that is challenging and, and it can feel disappointing that you'll work so hard towards something or feel like you're on the precipice of a huge next step and then you get hit with like okay that'll cost you know thirty thousand dollars and you're like oh soul yeah. crushed there goes everything I was planning but again you know it's always ends up being okay something incredible ends up coming from it what about working with your mom? Was that ever challenging uh, for you or did that always feel like it was just meant to be? It definitely feels meant to be. My family's always worked together, which is challenging. Like my dad and brother butt heads a lot and they still work yeah. together. Um, and I think they're sort of starting to find their groove like, you know, 15, yeah. 20 years later. <laughs> but my <laughs> mom and I have like always, always been best friends. Like she is my biggest supporter she is I'm I feel like I'm her biggest support too like we just love working together and uh it never felt like oh we're bringing work home I think because mm -hmm. work and home growing up were always the same it never felt like there was you know church and state on that but it just felt normal to be talking about the product over the dinner table and it never it never bothered me maybe it bothers her when I call her and she's like having her coffee and I'm like hey can you send something or do something you know, I'm sure she's like rolls her eyes a little but I know she loves it and it like keeps her excited and um I think it my dad loves it and my dad yeah he's like our 
he's our brawn and my mom's more of the brain. <laughs> he's like, yeah, always so happy to like bring packages to the post office or go pick up an order from the lab. Like he's so invigorated by it all and so excited by it all. Um, so that working with them is really, really special. And one of the hard parts of the whole thing was uh, being so close with my mom and my parents right before we launched, um, maybe about three months before we were planning to launch, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And oh that was like, yeah, that was, you know, would have been horrible enough had I not been planning to launch a business with her in three months. But mm -hmm. it was so hard considering like all of these plans we had and all of the things we were going to be doing and then being hit with this news that just once again, like completely flipped our lives upside down without the positive aspect of like, oh, we live on a farm. Now it's just like so negative. You know, now we have to kind of rethink everything and nothing felt like it mattered anymore. And it was just the most horrible experience. It was like, to me, worst case scenario in my entire life. Like I, my business could have yeah. failed completely, but my mom getting sick was by far, you know, worst, worst thing I could ever imagine happened. Oh my God. I mean, the idea of a parent getting sick, especially one that you, I mean, just period, period. Let's start yeah. with that. But then yeah. You and your mom are incredibly close. And then yeah. the third layer, you're starting a business together. So yeah. how how did that all shake out? Like, Yeah, so it was, I kind of took the business on myself. I was like, I'm not yeah. going to bother her with this. Like, I still have, like, I didn't even consider, like, not doing it. I was like, you know, we've got PR in place. We've got product in place. We've got all of the gears were turning. We were just a few months out from launching. Um, I think I had, like, just started working with the PR person who was, she was amazing. She like had everything like planned out that I'd never even thought about planning. Yeah. So I was like, you know, now it was like a rolling machine. I couldn't stop it. Um, I didn't even want to stop it and she didn't want me to stop it. But I think in a lot of ways, the business really saved me through this process where I did definitely become a bit of a shell of who I was because I was just yeah. so overwhelmed and consumed by what was happening. Like, it went from chill to so not chill between hospitals yeah. and chemo and surgery and more chemo and it just completely changed our lives in that. But I kept chugging along on the business. And that was kind of my like safe space to go to and and to still be able to be creative and still have something to be excited about and looking forward to. Um, and we had all of these press meetings. We had desk like our PR girl was incredible. She had like two weeks of desk side interviews lined up. And my mom and I were gonna do those together and tell our story together. But now it was like, okay, I'm gonna go into all of those meetings, just her and I. And my fear was that they were going to ask me about my mom because at the time, I like even till, till today, I can't really talk about it without sobbing. Like at the time, yeah. it was so much worse. So I remember just like crying to her being like, I really hope they don't ask about my mom because I'm not going to be able to get through that interview. Um, and I remember on my very first day of, desk, of the desk sides, uh, my mom was starting chemo that day and she was at the hospital and she forgot her reading glasses. So she was like texting like gibberishing that she'd forgotten her glasses and like wouldn't yeah. be able to communicate with us and I was like my poor mom at the hospital can't even look at her phone because she doesn't have her glasses so I remember yeah. like running to the hospital before my first death side and like running through the hall it's like mom here's your glasses and then, like I ran out to like meet with the editor of Elle and tell her our story and it was just it was it was wild but the business I think really just kept me motivated and excited about something and it really broke me out of my shell like that shyness I think that was University was one of the first pivotal moments for me to break out of my shell, but that was probably like even bigger because I now had to fully do this by myself every single step of the way and do it 
for my mom and I, they really gave me the strength to just, you know, put myself out there and tell our story and, and do it for her. Yeah. Can I ask how your mom's doing? She's doing well. It's pretty incredible. It was, it was like a worst case scenario medically and, and she's doing well. She's in remission for the past three years. Oh, that's so great. That's so yeah. great. You know, this gives me the chills. Our founder, Asha, had gone through a diagnosis of thyroid cancer right when we were starting some of our biggest workshops, like several summers ago, and she had just gotten engaged. And that had really, you know, that really shook us because similarly, like you're on the precipice of doing something really big and to have that type of news and just the idea that you don't know what's going to happen next, but you have to keep going. Like our yeah. team had to keep going even when she was dealing directly with her diagnosis. And I just cannot imagine the amount of inner strength and resilience that that took for you to just keep going. And I mean, I just hearing you talk about it, I imagine that your mom's strength gave you the strength to keep going. And thank goodness, because you have this beautiful brand that's built out and your mom is here to enjoy it with you, which is so incredible. Oh my God. Thank you for sharing with us. Of course. Yeah. And I think, you know, cancers touch everyone's life, unfortunately. And it's so jarring when it hits yours and you're just, you know how it is. You go from like regular conversations to like, how, how is this what we're talking about now? How are we talking about scans and and blood tests and doctors? It's just, it's, and my it's husband's a physician and even that didn't, and it was interesting on like a personal note from that, my mom was obviously in the ICU a lot and was, yeah, it was very like, you know, dire at certain points, but my husband turned out to be an ICU doctor. And yeah, so it wow. kind of gave me this like clarity into his world of what his day-to-day looked like. And I think it's, it's strengthened my relationship with him and my understanding of why he can't text me back in the middle of the day because he's dealing with real you know, big, serious matters. And I always think like, I, I don't want to distract him from that because mm-hmm. like, if that's my mom in the ICU, I don't want anything distracting her physicians from that. So I think it's, it's given so much back to us in a lot of interesting ways. Yeah. 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 Big time. And one of our first things that we did when we found out was we ended up partnering with the hospital that was treating her and was giving her these literally life-saving treatments and surgeries. And we were able to raise enough money with them to help hire a full-time researcher into the type of cancer that she has. So it was like, just that was like, honestly, probably one of the most rewarding things ever. Wow. Wow. I would love if you shared that research study with our audience too. We can definitely yeah. add it to our show notes so that people can read more about it and learn a little bit more yes. and have a deeper understanding of not just what you went through, but what a lot of people go through, like you said, and if there are ways to help. I mean, that's just incredible. I really appreciate you sharing this with our listeners because, you know, everyone has something, you know, whether it's a family member, whether it's an internal struggle. And I think the thing that's really important for us to share and impart is, you know, life doesn't happen in a vacuum. Success does not happen in a vacuum. Like, The successful women that we look at, that we look up to, are not women that have gone through life unscathed. And I think that the best of us really have gone through the exact opposite, like you. Like I can look to you and be like, wow, I really admire Amandine for creating something so resilient and sustainable 
literally in the middle of a fire happening, like, and a hurricane. Like, you did it in the eye of a storm, which is not just more impressive, but it's also just, like, real life. Like, that's how you make success happen. And, like, whether it's a big failure or it's this glaring challenge, like, you can do it if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. Totally. And I remember feeling very alone on it for listeners too. Like I, I was, again, I was around like 25 when this happened. And so I felt so alone that like, I'm too young for this. Like none of my friends have gone through this. I didn't know anyone whose parents had been sick. So I think just giving people the space to like, just relate and, and share their story with one another and support one another, even if you haven't gone through it personally, but just, you know, you can lean on people even when it seems really hard and and like no one really understands what you're going through. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. I also I saw something the other day. Um I happen to be a lost mom and I have a community of lost moms. And somebody had posted something that resonated just like across the board on like grieving and challenges. And it was something along the lines of like When you're going through these things, sometimes what you want to hear is not necessarily like, oh, I went through that too, or oh, I can kind of understand what you're going through because of X, Y, and Z. Because right in the thick of it, all you're thinking is, this is my mom. This is like my grandmother. This is my child. Like, And it's not that the other people are saying the wrong thing necessarily or that they don't mean the best or that it, it won't resonate at some point. But there's a part of that period of time, that eye of the storm, where you have to be self-protective and just remind yourself, like, this is my journey with my mother and it's my mother that's sick. It's not, you know what I mean? It's She's not the only mom in the world, but she's my only mom. And so so to, to, to still, to take all of that, to take all of that and to create what you created is just so admirable and... Just really dope. Yeah, I'm so to you guys. I'm so excited for for our listeners to just you know have something that can resonate so deeply from that aspect. I appreciate that. Yeah, we've all been through some crazy stuff, and there's more yeah. to come. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, one of the things that I've been thinking of too is like you mentioned that all of this, you know, Amandine's soul really started in 2019. And 2020, the entire world shut down. And I just keep thinking like how impossible it must have been to also build through a pandemic. So it's like not only do you have this major diagnosis and process that you're going through with your mom, you are building this company and the world is shut down. Yeah. Did you see any major challenges building during that time? Because you... I mean, you can't like make a product electronic or like switch to like, right. you know, here, I'm going to sell you this idea of how something smells like you were yes. creating something physical. So yeah. How did that work? Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Um, I ended up my, my apartment lease was up like March, 2020. So it ended mm-hmm. up being the perfect time to get out of the city. And I fully moved to the farm with my family or my parents for three years almost I was there so like all of COVID it was me and my parents on the farm and it honestly was pretty incredible because I was just like when in when in the world would I ever get this time to just be with my parents 24 7 and like 
just create with them and like laugh with them. And we just, we spent so much quality time together and, and really worked on the business at time. Like my dad would come out into the backyard of the farm and take pictures of me with the product. And so I just, I, I think if anything, it was an incredible time for the business because I had nothing to do but focus on it. I had no FOMO of like other things I could or wanted to be doing. My boyfriend, now husband at the time, was in D.C. doing his medical training. So it's like he wasn't even a distraction because we couldn't I couldn't go visit him. The borders were closed. It was like it was grind time. I I think I worked like seven days a week every single day on on growing it and trying to find ways to tell the story and get the product out there. And I'd always imagined it was going to be direct to consumer for the first while. So that actually didn't shift the plans too much. Mm -hmm. Till this day, it's still a challenge getting the product across to people without them physically trying it like describing like you you said the smell and the feel and the Mm -hmm. texture and the results that's like still something I'm trying to figure out how really to communicate it digitally and we just launched in all of the Erewhon locations in California so that's been a great way for people to like feel it and try it at least on the west coast but still Mm -hmm. there's not a ton of places people can go experience it in person so that was that was that's still a challenge I'm trying to figure out but there is also, this really incredible moment during COVID where people were leaning so hard into self-care because they couldn't yeah. go to spas, they couldn't do things to unwind as much. They're really trying to do like at-home facials and at-home skincare and at-home treatment. So search for our type of product was way up. And then also mm-hmm. there was such a strong support for Canadian brands. And I'm, I'm sure it's similar in the U.S. where everyone was like, shop local, shop small. And that catapulted us like that really really helped us rise because all these people who you typically have to pay thousands of dollars for one staged post were now organically raving about our product because they actually loved it so we saw a huge huge uptick with that I started gifting all the hospitals product just because I knew what they were going through for my mom's end yeah and for my husband's end so I was you know bringing other brands together to gift boxes and boxes of product to different hospitals and that they would post about it and that gave us a great lift. So yeah, there was a lot of really great organic coverage and we actually launched our second product in December of 2020. So it was like, hey, let's roll with it. Yeah. Let's let's not just survive, let's launch a product. And that went pretty well. It was a little harder than launching the first product where we could actually meet with people to tell them about the product. So that definitely, you know, doing desk sides virtually was not the same. But my mom and I drove through like all of Toronto delivering packages to everyone's houses during COVID. The streets were empty. It was like so wild. And that, yeah, that was like honestly a, a huge lift in a cool way. Yeah. What was the moment where you and your mom looked at each other and you were just like, we did it. We made it. <laughs> I don't know if we've had like a fully we've made it. I think when when I can like retire my parents comfortably. That's when I can I can at least look in the mirror and say we made it. And I think my mom would, too. But there's been there's been multiple moments where we're like, oh, this is real. This is this is happening. You know, when when we saw like Sam Levy had worn it to one of the award shows, we were like, this is I mean, first off, full circle, because he's the creator yes, of Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. <laughs> yeah, he wrote my life. So. That's pretty incredible and is is such a cool full circle Canadian moment where I think he was like the first major person to wear our product. Um, and then even today, Matilda Jurf posted wearing our eye patches and I FaceTimed my mom and we were both just like, this is so I love cool. it. 
I love I'm so yeah. excited to try the eye patches, by the way. Um, yes, they're amazing. My heart is so full listening to your story, hearing how everything's come full circle, hearing how you worked your butt off, like, again, through the eye of the storm, multi-level layers of just world destruction happening, and then <laughs> you just powering through it. The whole thing is so, so very inspiring. And um, I'm sure our listeners are going to agree. And, you know, I can't wait to have you back on the show because there's so much more we're going to want to pick your brain about. Um, Please. There's so much. We've only scratched the surface. (laughs) Yes. I love it. I love it. And I wish I could keep you all night, but I know I cannot. One of the things that we do at the end of our interviews to sort of transition out of like the deep talk that we've just had is we do something called the fast five where we just do quick little questions to kind of shake it all off. Quick answers. Wait. And then we close with a question that we ask all of our guests. So if you are ready, I'll get right to it. I know. I wish I could do an inner glow moment right now. (laughs) We need one. We need one. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so number one, favorite thing about working with your mom? Oh, I'm making her proud. Oh, I love it so much. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I need to meet your parents now. This is just They're amazing. so sweet. You'll be one. Okay. You'll be part of the family. Yeah, <laughs> we would love that. Number two, most unexpected byproduct of success. Sometimes I'll be watching football with my husband because he's obsessed and I did not grow up in a family that watches yeah. football. And there'll be a moment that I'm like, oh, he's wearing our product there. Or, oh, we just gifted that major <laughs> announcer that our product. Or, like, the ad with Travis Kelsey came on and I said, hey, he's wearing our product in that ad. Yeah. And I just see his face, like, just melt. Or he's just Your husband. He's so, like, <laughs> yeah. You're like, Taylor Swift, no too. Idea. It's all about Amandine's soul. <laughs> right? Like, he has no idea, really, what I do. Like, he, gets, he sees it, but he doesn't get it because he's not in the industry at all. But when I yeah. can cross it over to football, I feel like a hero. Oh, I love that. Okay. Number three, favorite item from your brand? Ooh, that's, yeah, that's like picking your favorite child. I know. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, maybe I'll say the iPadals because they come with minis of both of our mm-hmm. products. So it's the whole family in one gorgeous little kit. I love that. Okay. Number four, best way to start the day? With some sort of physical activity. I, I don't like I, exercising, but it gets me going. Yeah. <laughs> Number five, best way to end the day? Housewives and my dog and my family. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, our final question is something that we ask all of our guests, and um, I'm just going to get right into it. What was one quality that you had as a young woman that you didn't take pride in then, but you look back at now and you really appreciate? That's so interesting. So I think we look back a lot at the things we want to change mm-hmm. or are proud we overcame, but something I'm proud about, I think I always had this like, creative spirit that felt like I could make anything like I remember growing up and my friends all were wearing Uggs and I like my parents were like we can't buy you $200 boots that are going to get you know just ruined and you're going to grow out of and I was so heartbroken that I decided I was going to figure out how to make my own Uggs and (laughs) I did that and when I trace it back there's so many times where I was like I really want that but I can't necessarily afford it or get it just buying it so I'm going to make it and I think that 
it's pretty cool and it's probably helped me a lot to get where I am today. I love it so much. I love it so much. And I think that, you know, if everyone could work on having that as a quality, it would take them so far in life. The resourcefulness you can make is just anything. one of my favorite yeah. qualities in a person. Totally. <laughs> it really is. You can, uh, yeah, you can do anything. It's it's totally a mindset and it's like a, a ballsiness of like, I'm just going to try it and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Well, exactly. thank you so much for your time. This is the best way to end my day is interviewing yeah. wonderful, interesting, successful women. And this was no exception. I think this was a really special interview. And um, I'm so grateful that we're going to be able to share your story with all of our listeners. Before we go, let's let's pimp you out. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they buy Amandine Soul Botanicals? Tell us everything. Yes. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Amandine Soul Botanicals. You can see me making a fool of myself every day on TikTok at <laughs> Amandine Soul. You can shop us on our website. We ship all over the country. And then we're also at Erewhon locations in California. And we're at Half Year Grocery in New York City. Awesome. We'll link all of it. Thank you so much for joining us. We loved this. Oh, thank and you. For all our listeners, we will see you next week. Thank you so much. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to follow and share meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?